Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unraveling Money. I'm here with Monique Malcolm, somebody I'm just now connecting with. I've been following her work for a while. She's a really cool person I came across, and she's the founder of uh, Take Tiny Action. And I think that's so perfect. When I first discovered her work, it was a really great reminder that the next step can all can actually be really small. It can be really doable. It can be accessible. Creating what we want doesn't have to feel like this big, scary mountain to climb. And her work really teaches that. Um, her work to me really teaches that you can make amazing things happen and that you can find the way there. And so I'm really excited that she's going to be on the podcast today. She's also a mom. She um, recently wrote a book which is called Don't Let Fear Have All the Fun. So I want to dive into that as well. But I'm really grateful that you're here on the podcast with us. Hey, Monique. Hi, I'm excited to talk with you today. I have a a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. So I'm ready, whatever you are. Amazing. I want to hear all of your thoughts. So let's begin talking about your money story. What have been your issues, your struggles with money in the past? Well, I think the biggest thing, the most pressing thing, and the thing that I felt most way down by was debt, Uh, student loan debt, credit card debt, um, just random things that I purchased. Those, um, what do they call it? The, where you can make the monthly payments, like afterpay. It's, I can't think of what it's called, but you know, like it's like paying for. So taking on those types of things and not really being aware of how much money it takes to run my household. And can I even afford to take on this additional debt? So that was like a a very big pressing thing that I dealt with for way too many years, like a good chunk of my adult life. Yeah, it's so fascinating because these things are everywhere, right? Like in Europe, it's called Klarna. I think that's available in the United States as well. And then it's after pay. And then every department store has its own little credit card. And, you know, it's so easy to just buy things, but then actually paying it off. It takes a lot of self-discipline, takes a lot of maturity to not get lured into these traps and to really be aware of the state of our own finances. So what was there a moment, like a turning point when you realized that this is becoming unmanageable, out of control? I need to, I need to fix this. Yes. Uh December 2018 is when I, I call it like my come to Jesus moment where I'm not even sure exactly what it was that triggered it. But I know the overlying thing was I had this one credit card. It started off, the bank got me, started off like a $5,000 limit. And slowly they creeped it up and slowly I charged it up. And next thing I know, I had like this $18,000 debt on this credit card. The interest payments on that were eating me alive. I was paying like 400 plus dollars a month. More than 250 of that was going just to interest. And I looked at that and I just hit this moment where this was not sustainable. I was paying, I mean, that was just one credit card. That was the the biggest one. But collectively I was paying over a thousand plus dollars a month in just debt payments. And I just thought to myself, I can't keep doing this. Like, I I don't know how I'm going to get out of this specific debt, but I just knew at that moment I had to take my head out of the sand and figure out what am I going to do? How much debt am I actually in? How can we create a plan to eliminate this debt? Because I I was getting very, very stressed about it. So at that point, I I went online and I found a debt calculator spreadsheet that basically let you list out all of your your creditors, the balances you had on each um, account, 
and then the interest rate. And it gave you kind of like a calculation of how much interest you were paying for each one. And then it let you come up with a plan. You could do like the snowball method or the avalanche method, highest, like they had a few different options that you could sort through. And it asked you to like, it basically calculated, these are your minimum payments. And then it asked you to add an additional amount on top of that. And it calculated when you could pay it off. And that's, for me, that was like the starting point for this can be manageable and I can pay this debt off. Which of these debt repayment um, methods really worked for you and which didn't and why? Uh, initially, the snowball method was what I used because I, I liked the idea that the psychological boost of just paying something off. When you have multiple credit cards and you're looking at this huge balance, that feels very overwhelming. But focusing on just one, okay, this balance is only $2,000. I felt like, okay, I can pay that off. That, that one worked really well for me for a while. Um, I would say the same token, I got to a point where that one stopped working for me only because I had made so much progress and I got to the point where it made less sense to focus on these smaller balances when I had higher balances with higher interest rates. So I decided to flip that and focus on the highest interest rate ones first and cutting those down. And then I just kind of worked my way until I got to the end. Right. It feels like sometimes you just need to get started with what you can start with, especially when it feels really intimidating. And most of us hold so much shame around money and all the mistakes we've made. And everyone makes money mistakes. We'll continue to make money mistakes, hopefully learn from them, and then we'll make some more, hopefully learn from those too, right? But it's so easy to be ashamed and to feel guilty and to feel, you know, really sad about um, the difficult situations that we put ourselves into. And so it takes a lot of strength and courage to face their debt and to face their mistakes and to really try and fix them. And so what I'm hearing is that at first you just needed to get started. You just needed to pick any, just to start with whatever you can. And then as you notice that the debt was going down, you were able to be more strategic and really figure out the most effective way for you. Exactly. That's exactly it. Amazing. So what did you learn about about debt and about money from going through this process of paying off all of your debt? Like, are there any money best practices, any like little Monique life lessons that you can share with us? Uh, so a few things. I think that conceptually we understand interest, like what that is. Logically, we know what that is. I don't think that most people know what that looks like in application even though you get your credit card statements every month, for the most, I think the majority of people, at least I was this way for a long time, I didn't really look at the interest. I just looked at what was the minimum payment. And that that was the thing. So I've become very, very hyper aware of interest whenever I'm taking on any kind of um, new debt. For example, uh, we just, we live in an older house. So we just got our windows replaced in the last month. And as a part of that process, they had like a financing offer. So they were like, you can finance this. So we did it because we didn't have to pay anything for the first um, for the first year, even though we saved for it in cash. So we have the money available. I just didn't want to give the money before they paid. They did the work. But um, looking at the interest rate, it's like 25%. And I, I was like telling my husband, I was like, this is insane. If we didn't have the money to pay for this in cash and we had to charge this, 25%. Like, 
I didn't even want to think about what that costs because getting windows replaced is not cheap. So that's that's the thing that I'm really, really conscious about now. Whenever we go into any situation where we think we might have to finance something, what is the interest rate on this? And then using an interest rate calculator to figure out what additional, like how much is that going into um, the interest payments versus paying off the thing? Because I think once you see the difference, it really makes you move differently with your money. The other thing is I swear by budgeting now. I never had a budget until uh, 2019. I think it's the first time I really tackled budgeting. But my thing is with budgeting, one thing I don't think that people say enough when they tell people to budget, you have to train yourself to stop looking at your bank balance to make decisions. You need to look at your budget to make decisions. I would often look at our whatever amount we had in our, our bank balance and be like, oh, we have $200 left. We can buy pizza. We get paid next week. But now that I'm more conscious about budgeting and I use a zero-based budget, I'm like, well, do we have money for dining out in the budget? I need to see what that looks like in our budget categories. And then I can make decisions, not just saying, oh, well, there's money in the account. We can spend it because every dollar has a job now. It's allotted to something and it's not just available to spend whenever I feel like it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you became a lot more proactive, a lot more mature, a lot more, you know, in the sense that you know your values around money, you know how you wish to live with your family, you know what's most important to you guys. And in the process of deciding on a budget, right, like those decisions will be made. This is the life that we're going to live and this is where the money goes. And I think that that's really wonderful to go back to the debt. So for anybody who doesn't, who's just now starting to think about debt, like that's for many of us, it's like, it's the elephant in the room where most of us know, we know the word interest rates, we know the word repayment, but interest really is the price we pay to borrow money. So we can, we buy money and that costs money, right? Like credit card companies aren't just generous where they just give you a bunch of money. And the thing that strikes me is I used to be so scared of money and especially big sums of money. So my emotional feelings around money and what different sums of money meant in my life often made it that I felt more comfortable making smaller payments over longer periods of time rather than kind of giving away big sums of money. So in in, in your case, with the replacement of the windows, I can imagine that many people feel like, oh my God, if there's the big bill coming, that would take a really big chunk out of the money that they have sitting in their bank accounts. And that can feel really scary. And so for them, it might feel more accessible to do the longer payments, even though it's very expensive to do, right? And that's why it's so important that we begin to unravel and heal all of our money wounds and and fears and difficult, complex feelings that we have so we can make more sound decisions. So we can do what you've been doing, where you've been actually looking at the the terms of the contract that you're signing. So you can see what you're getting yourself into and then make the right decision for you. But I feel like so many of us are so overwhelmed with our feelings that we can't actually really um, go there. We can't strategize. We can't make the right choice for us. And then later on, we're left needing to clean up the mess. No, that's that's so true. And it's such a frustrating place to be in too, because like you mentioned, there's a lot of guilt and shame around money. So in addition to needing to make big purchases, I mean, if you own a home or really anything, a car, there's going to be a time where you have to spend a, a chunk of money that maybe you even planned for, or you weren't planning for, 
but that does feel very uncomfortable. So compounding like just the overwhelm of trying to figure out navigating this purchase that you need to make on top of feelings of guilt and shame and can I afford this? That's a lot. It's so much that weighs on people when it comes to spending money or having money. So I, I just, I love the work that you're doing and trying to help people connect with those feelings and break them down because it, it makes such a difference. If you can make decisions about your finances from a place of calm and feeling confident that you can do this well, you're going to make much better decisions than if you're trying to make a decision based on like, oh my God, what feels less scary? What doesn't like trigger my shame and my guilt? And you you just start compounding all of these things on top of that process that don't allow you to see clearly how you can get this done in a way that can work for you. Yeah, exactly. And what I most love about your story is there is a theme of self-discipline for me. Like when I hear your story, it really feels like you strengthened your self-discipline and your self-respect and your self-belief. And that one of the ways that you're taking care of yourself is by by looking at your finances, by being aware, by not sticking your head in the sand, but by doing the hard work now of reading everything, of looking at everything, of making decisions in order to save yourself a lot of hassle later. And that's really... It's very inspiring. Thank you. I mean, there there's so many things that are tied to money. And for a very long time, I felt a lot of shame about my debt. So I, I don't think we've mentioned this, but I was in like six-figure debt. So like 170 plus thousand dollars worth of debt, combining student loans, like car, credit cards, like everything, cars. And that feels so embarrassing to tell people. For a long time, I never talked to anyone about what we had going on financially because it was it felt like a mess and I felt ashamed. And how do you let yourself get so much debt? And even though like logically, I'd be like, well, a good chunk of this is student loans, but even still having a good chunk of that still be like credit card payments. It's like, how did you let yourself get here? And I, I felt very weighed down and ashamed about that for a long time. But once I started making progress and I started seeing that number drop and I started believing that we could actually pay all of this off, then I wanted to tell people like, oh my gosh, you guys, do you know how to budget? And if you don't know how to budget, do you want me to teach you? Because it is life-changing and it really is. I remember um, after we paid off those student loans, I, I talked with a friend and she was like, your life is going to be so different now. And not just because you uh, paid off the debt, but she was like, you're no longer in survival mode. You no longer live paycheck to paycheck. And she was like, that brings so many more opportunities and possibilities for you because you can just live and you don't have to feel like your nervous system is in response to like this, this survival need all of the time. So she was like, you know, you just have to be conscious about that. Remind yourself that you're safe and that, you know, you can make good financial decisions and keep going forward. But I can't even begin to explain to you how much better I sleep at night, um, the different things that I feel are possible for myself, like things that I can invest in for my business and, and other things, because I don't have to live in this paycheck to paycheck survival cycle any longer. Right. And you're not alone in this. No. What you've experienced, like we could... We could go there and kind of blame ourselves. We could be like, well, I was silly for taking on all this debt or I was silly for getting the part payments or, you know, we could be really hard on ourselves about this. But what you're describing is a result of 
living life the normal way, right? Because that's what we're being taught. Go to college. Everybody has car payments. Everybody has credit cards. It's just normal. And so often when, we, when we're surrounded by this marketing for buy now, pay later and all of that, and we see other people do it, some part of us thinks, well, it can't be so bad. Everybody else is doing it. Isn't that the normal way? Isn't it normal to buy a really beautiful house? Isn't that just the way it's supposed to be? And we live in a society where Optics matter most, right? Like if we just go on Instagram, everybody's got the big house and the nice car and the everything. The thing that I learned is that it often looks very different behind the scenes. Just in my personal life recently, I've, some of the people I know have had some very big money upsets, you know, where they bought a house that they really couldn't afford and then interest rates went up and they're now trying to sell it. And they're set to lose about a quarter million on a house that they just, they can completely over leverage themselves. But that is the normal, you know, when they were making the decision, people were applauding and they said, yeah, that's great. And, and so the thing that I'm learning is that just because something is normal or common or most people do it, doesn't mean that it's right for me. Doesn't mean that it's smart to do. Doesn't mean that it's safe. Um, sometimes, you know, there's many many companies and powerful individuals that want us to spend our money in a very specific way. And it's really important that before we follow the crowd, you know, and buy like the 20 pairs of Air Jordans, we really need to think about what it is that we're doing. And I'm noticing it with myself, like it's so easy to just get sucked into that. I have a rule with myself where before buying anything, I'll sleep on it. And if it's a bigger purchase, anything, I live in Germany. So anything bigger than like a hundred euros. And this may sound ridiculous to some people. I'll wait a week, you know, because if after a week I don't really need it, I won't buy it. And so for me, it's a practice of being aware of all the ways that I'm being kind of taught to spend my money. And I want to make sure that it's my decision, that it's not just like a default setting that was kind of ingrained in me that says, this is how you should live your life. These are the financial decisions that you need to make as an adult. And it's been amazing. You know, I, one of my rules is that I never have car payments. I always buy my cars in cash. Always, always. I don't give anybody and I, I never drive a new car. Like that's another thing. I just don't care about cars that much. And that's one of the ways that I make sure to not get myself in a pickle. That's a really smart um, thing. So currently we have two cars. Both of them are paid off. Um, my car, I got after I graduated college. I've been out of college more than 15 years. I still have the car that my dad got me at graduation. And I plan, we gave it to my son because he's he's driving now. So he mainly uses it. But both my husband and I work from home and we initially had planned to get me a new car once we paid off my husband's car. We've had that car paid off for two years. I have no intention of buying a new car unless we absolutely need it. We both work from home. Our son still lives at home. We have two cars available to us. They both work. They both have AC. They, they're fine. Like to your point, I don't care that much about cars. I don't need to signal anything with my car. So I'm not taking on a car payment and a more expensive car insurance payment just so that people can see me in a shiny car. I don't care that much. Right. And that plays into what we talked about earlier. It's all those feelings that we have around money. Like if we feel insignificant or like we don't matter, we might choose to buy the expensive car to, to seem, you know, to make it seem like we are somebody or like we're good enough. 
And so I'm noticing that the more I heal those wounds within myself, I can actually be honest with myself about what matters. Just yesterday, I bought the designer dining chairs of my dreams. Like that's something that really, I just want it. I don't want to sit on wobbly chairs anymore. Yeah, I'm sitting on one of them right now. They're so comfortable. They're so amazing. I took so much time to research them. That's what matters to me now. And so in this conversation, you know, we talk about budgeting and frugality and, and maturity, but we can still treat ourselves to the things that we really care about. It's just, we want to be sure that we are aware that it's our decision, that it's not just a default wiring inside of our brains that we got from society, right? So if anybody's listening and you do value driving an amazing car, knock yourself out, right? Just keep your eyes and ears wide open and be aware of what you're doing. Exactly that. Um, I mean, there are things that I splurge on. I, I love a nice, fancy, frilly dress. <laughs> I love Farm Reels, one of my favorite companies, and their dresses are not cheap. So, yeah. you know, I I will buy a dress from Farm Rio in a heartbeat, but only if it's in my budget. I love traveling. So we do a lot of traveling. I love a fancy hotel. If we can like upgrade to a fancy hotel, I want to stay at a nice hotel. So those are the things that I want to spend money for. I don't necessarily care about the cars. We don't live in the fanciest house, but it's a nice house. I like it. It had all the things that I wanted. So I think there's a large part. And when you're thinking about spending your money, spending it from a place of, is this what I like? Is this what I actually want? Because I don't want to be over leveraged. Uh, the house that we bought, the the decision making process behind buying that home was we had we had never lived in a, a house. We always lived in an apartment. We wanted something that was in alignment with the, what we were paying in rent on our apartment. We had this tiny apartment, and I remember our realtor is a friend of my husband's, and he was like, "With the kind of money you make, you can afford more house than this." And I was like, "I don't care about that. I want the payment to be close to what we're paying for our rent right now." That feels very comfortable to me. If something happened to either one of us and we had to pick up a job at Starbucks or somewhere else, we could still make the rent and it would be fine. Like it, it might be a little bit tighter, but I don't want to buy a house that is so much, so much more than what we need. We're just a family of three. And then we have an 18 year old son. He's not going to be living with us for much longer. We don't need a huge, huge house. There's not that many people to fill it. The bigger house we get, the more furniture we have to buy. Those types of things don't matter to me. I just want the neighborhood we live in to be nice. I want our house to be comfortable. I want us to have a backyard. Those were what, what were most important, but I don't want to extend myself so much financially that I'm sweating bullets at the end of the month. Like, oh my gosh, can we make the mortgage this month? I don't know. It's kind of tight. That doesn't feel good. And now that I am on this other side, I never want to have to go back to a place where I am stressing about do I have money to make the minimum payment on my credit card? It really sucked to live in that, that space. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's the cleaning. Anytime I've lived in a big home, it was like, oh my God, just the dirt. <laughs> I love having the perfect sized home for me. So I don't have to clean all the time or hire a bunch of cleaners. Um, but tell us about Take Tiny Action. How did that idea, that teaching, that brand come into your life? So it, it's, it was like, have you ever had something that you just knew instantly was in alignment? Like it just came to you and you were just like, oh, that's the thing. So that's that's really what happened with Take Tiny Action. So for a long time, I had another podcast called Pimp Your Brilliance. I started that in 2017. 
I loved it. I still love it. But uh, last year I started writing Don't Let Fear Have All the Fun. And in that process, I was deciding that I wanted to rebrand because I wanted to talk a bit more about creative online business. Well, I wanted to talk about other things beyond just creative online business. So I was thinking I'm going to rebrand. I'll just call my brand Monique Malcolm and I can talk about whatever I want, whenever I want. Well, I had already started using the language Take Tiny Action. And I was like, oh, that would be a cute name for a newsletter. It'll be Take Tiny Action with Monique. But it was going to be the Monique Malcolm brand. And a few days after I announced the rebrand and I changed everything over, 3 a.m., I got just awoken. And the thing that came to me was like, oh, you should name your brand Take Tiny Action. And I just thought that there's no way that domain name is available. Somebody has had to purchase that already because it's so good. It's so simple. But I got out of my bed at 3 a.m. and I went to go look it up and it was available. So I bought it. I bought it at three o'clock in the morning. So this was March of 2022. And a few days later, I was having a writing retreat with my friend. And I told her, I know that I just changed everything over to Monique Malcolm, but I got the idea that the brand should be called Take Tiny Action and I think I'm going to change it again. And she didn't even push back. She was like, do it, do it. It makes so much sense. It's so easy to say. It's so smart. And she was like, it's the through line through everything that you've done over the years. So she was like, a lot of what you've talked about, goal setting and building a business, it always starts with this idea of taking small steps. She was like, that's the thing that connects all your work is this idea of taking small steps. And that's it's been a year. Um, I didn't do much with it last year because I was just finishing the the book writing process. But now that that is done, the book is out. I am building this Take Tiny Action brand, which is really around the idea of instead of trying to take big leaps, we, we need to take small steps. Big leaps, while that looks good, it looks sexy for the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world to become billionaires at 20 plus years age. Um, you know, it looks good to say, I'm going to lose some weight and you're going to overhaul your entire pantry, throw out all the bad food and start training right away. That's not sustainable for most people. Most of us need small incremental behavior change. And so that's really the idea of behind taking tiny action. We're going to take control of our lives one tiny step at a time by just doing a little bit more each day until you get to the place that you want to be. Right. Martha Beck calls it micro adjustment. So she says that we're like an airplane. And if we're trying to stay on course, we just keep to we keep needing to make those micro adjustments in the right direction. And so when you talk about taking tiny actions, that's what it makes me think about because our life consists of tiny actions, right? What am I going to eat today? When am I going to get up? Um, you know, am I going to market today? Yes, no. Ideally, it would be a yes, right? <laughs> you know, am I going to go to the grocery store today? What am I going to buy? Like, it's all those like micro actions. And when we be, when we can be conscious and aware as we're making these actions, every single action can either steer us in the direction of what we want or kind of steer us away in another direction. And so I absolutely love it. I remember feeling so inadequate a couple of years ago when the whole like taking quantum leaps was like so on trend. And I thought, I've never taken a quantum leap. For me, if I want to do anything in my life, it's just a really grueling, very boring, very long period of time 
when I just need to keep myself disciplined and to do the very same basic thing every day that is working right now. Right now, I'm learning to play the guitar. My fingers hurt like hell. I know that I just need to play 15 minutes of guitar every single day. Like, I don't need to become the most amazing guitarist. I don't need to watch like two hours of videos every day, just 15 minutes of playing my songs. And so when I think about anything that I've achieved in my life that I'm really happy with, it's always just the tiny, 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 tiny steps just over and over. So tell us about your book. What, what, what's your book about? So don't let fear have all the fun. It is a book full of practical advice about how do you make bold moves, even if you're afraid. So the idea came to me uh, several years ago. I wrote a tiny book I called The Fear Guide, and it outlined what I call the chorus of fear. So that's like the inner voice. And I, I talk about how our chorus is specifically designed for each person. So it has like a playlist of your greatest hits, which are your excuses, justifications, reasons. Everybody has a specific playlist of greatest hits that are dialed in exactly to you. So the chorus knows exactly what it needs to sing to you in order to get you to stop doing something that it feels is not safe. Because at, at its core, our fear is designed as a safety mechanism. It's supposed to keep us safe from danger. But over time, it has not developed, it's not sophisticated enough to tell the difference between being attacked by a bear and like, you're not safe. And I don't want to post my reel today because somebody might think my hair looks bad. So it it kind of, it wants to keep you safe at all costs. And so I, I talk a lot about how uh, the chorus will keep us stuck. It'll keep us small. It makes us shrink. And we don't get to live this big, bold life that we want to live with the the overarching theme of the book being that uh, being fearless is not a prerequisite for living a big life and that you can do all the things that you want in your life and you can do them afraid. You can take tiny actions to do them and you can build courage in small doses or or micro courage. So it's it's told through stories from my life, stories from people that I interviewed for the book. Um, I use a lot of funny examples and some serious ones, but I really wanted to write a book about working through our fear and being comfortable with fear that didn't make people feel diminished, that didn't make people feel beat down because there are books that are like, you need to punch fear in the face. And if you don't punch fear in the face, you're a punk because you didn't do the thing. I don't like that kind of messaging. It doesn't feel good. And I, I think that that shames people and makes them feel guilty about the things that they didn't accomplish out of fear. So I really wanted to write a book that made people feel seen and let them know that I also struggle with fear. I'm still not a fearless person, but I do scary things all the time. Mm, I love that. What's a scary thing you've done recently that you're really proud of? Ooh, so I'm going to Italy this summer for the first time, and I'm going alone to attend a business leadership mastermind. And it was a big financial investment. Um, I, I kind of toiled over that decision for several days before I, I pulled the trigger on it. But I, I told a friend about it and she was like, you should do it. And, and we really had to talk through a lot of the fears there because I felt really uncomfortable spending that amount of money, even though I know that it will pay off and that I, I should if I want to get to the next level that I'm trying to go to. But recognizing that there is discomfort in 
breaking free from um, the ceilings or the limits that you've put on yourself, especially around like business and spending money on yourself. Right. It feels like all of us have this this list in our minds of what we're allowed to spend money on, what we're not allowed to spend money on. And I'm noticing that my list is often so ridiculous. Like it makes no sense. Like I'm allowed to buy, you know, skincare as much as I want, but I'm not allowed to buy just new shoes when I need them. Like this is something that I've discovered about my list. And so it sounds like it's really time for you to to cross some things off your list and to just go make that sole choice and go to Italy. That'll be fun. Yeah, I, I'm well, I'm doing it. I bought the plane ticket. I paid for the the mastermind. So I, I'm quite excited. I'm getting there a little bit early so I can adjust the timing and, and be available at the, the time of the uh, mastermind starts. But I, I am still a little freaked out. I'm like, you're going to be in Italy alone for a few days and you have to navigate this. But also I'm like, okay, but you can do this. You can plan for this. You, there's ways that you can navigate and feel safe. And so I'm, I'm still having to like coach myself through it, but I'm really excited about it. It'll be an adventure. That's exciting. Yeah. If nothing else, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. It'll be an adventure. Amazing. So for anyone listening who is curious about what you offer in your business, how do you help people? Uh, so right now I am um, coaching people and then I have like my book and um, a planner, but really it's, it's, a lot of what my work is, is giving people permission. <laughs> and that, that sounds so basic, but when I um, talk with people, a lot of times it's, it's things around productivity or um, getting out of their own way, trying to figure out their goals or, or get really clear on their life vision. A lot of it really is me saying like, you know that you're allowed to do this, right? It doesn't matter that your mom said you shouldn't do it doesn't matter that your dad thinks that your job right now is good enough. You can do it and you can do it afraid and you can take small steps and make yourself feel comfortable. But, but, but I think that a lot of us have a lot of unlearning to do around the right way to do things. There's so many right ways that we believe and we believe that there's only one way. So a lot of um, what I do right now is, is helping people see that, you no, know, you can do it your way. There's a perfect way for you to do it. And it may not be the acceptable way, but also you have permission to do it that way too. Mm, I love that. Where can people find your work? Uh, they can find it on my personal website, moniquemalcolm.com or even at taketinyaction.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting hearing about your work and about the book. I'll be sure to buy it and read it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's on my little I've got a kid notes on my little read list. So I'm excited to get to it. Awesome. I'm, I can't wait to hear what it unlocks for you.